Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Okay, what's up, dragons? This is Steven, Ryan, and Josh from Phantology with our full spoiler review of The Fires of Vengeance. You should have started off with Guardians. Yeah, Guardian Guardian Dragons. (laughs) I I was talking about the military unit, Ryan. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Yeah. Okay. um... (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, that that's okay. That's a fair correction. I I apologize. They 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 are in fact guardians. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning into Phantology. If you want to see more from Phantology, you can find us at Phantology Books www.phantologybooks.com, and you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash/Phantology_books. So in our non-spoiler review, it sounded like we all kind of have a little different take on the book. I think Ryan, you gave a seven. Josh, you gave it an eight. 7. I gave it Okay. So Ryan and I, you and I both gave a 7.5. Josh, you are at an eight. So fairly high rating for the book, but let's get into the details of, of why we came up with these numbers. So should we start with just go right into the characters? Should we, should we start with Tao? Let's do it. Actually, wait, before we do that, I do want to mention um, just going into the book at the very beginning, don't skip the dedication because he dedicated it to his dad who died while he was writing the book. And I thought it was really heartfelt and like really made me like the guy right away. So uh, don't, don't miss that. Did you guys catch that? And was that, that was in the audiobook as well? Yep. I, I did uh, catch that. It was, it was interesting. It's kind of a similar thing that Tao goes through in the first book where he loses right. his, his father. Um, the author goes through a similar thing when he was writing this book. Yeah, that one got me because you guys know, like I lost my dad about two years ago now uh, to cancer. And so that was, yeah, that got me right at the beginning. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And another thing, um, it seemed like his dad was pretty, uh, pretty supportive of him becoming an author. And so Mm -hmm. possibly without his dad's influence, we might not have had either of these books. Yeah, Evan seems like a real stand-up guy from what I've seen, I mean, in his books and on Twitter. And his dad seems like a pretty amazing guy as well. So uh, that right away just kind of makes you uh, like like the book. It makes you want to root for the book. And it delivered. It was it was a pretty good book. I mean, you guys are a little bit higher than I was, but uh, overall, I like the book. So let's talk about Tao. And I think this is where it's going to be most divisive because for me, Tao continued to frustrate me all the way through just he just doesn't seem quite as dynamic enough to to be a character that i'm really interested in like he's he's just kind of one note all the way through and i'm kind of stealing that a little bit from mike's book reviews his review on it that that's how he described it but i can't think of a better way to describe tau like he's just fixed on vengeance all the way through and even though all of these other things are you know friendship and love etc are right there for him to take he never even like recognizes it. And that just frustrated me as a reader. It's not a bad thing, but 
it, it just made it hard for me to cheer for him a little bit. I, I don't know. What would you guys think? Yeah, I feel like there's, I feel like this analogy may have been used in the books or something, but I feel like he was an, like an arrow. Like he was just launched on a traje- trajectory and like the wind might blow him a little bit this way or that, but he's going to where he's going no matter what, you know? And I, but I think that's kind of the point of the character. And I really like the care. I, I like what Evan Winter did with the character, even if the character himself frustrates me because I kind of like those, do like those one note characters, not all the time. And especially not when they're done poorly, but I feel like this is done very purposefully. Yeah. On, on the flip side of things, I can imagine a character who is constantly hindered by their I guess hindered is the wrong word, but they, they always pause to consider their morals before like a Batman type character where they, uh-huh. they don't want to kill anybody. So they always just capture them and leave them for the police. That person could be equally frustrating to me than as, as somebody similar to Tao who doesn't really question his morals and just goes and kills. But I, I feel like throughout this book, he, he certainly, uh, he certainly, got some depth added to him by Evan Winter. Cause I feel like he's maturing a bit and he's considering more the consequences of his actions. And by the end of the book, he has almost decided that vengeance isn't worth it. I mean, it's still worth it to him, but he doesn't kill Odili by his own hand. Right. And he he kind of as as Odili dies, he thinks to himself that it didn't really bring his father back. It didn't it didn't yeah. fix any of the ways that he was feeling. And so that sure that certainly shows how he is maturing as a character rather than just thinking, I need to kill him, like that's all I'm living for. He's thinking like, Well, what else is there to life? This isn't really fulfilling me. That's a really good point. I, I forgot about that moment where he's like, I got him, but the world is still so empty. This has not given me any satisfaction for this, you know, burning desire for vengeance inside of me. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's a, probably a good pushback against what I said, Ryan. Like he is in fact maturing. I'll, I'll go with you. Another really good part of that scene that I really liked, and this was kind of a theme of the book is when the queen sister, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on her name. I'm so SC? bad with names. Essie yeah when she's like he gave up a third of his wealth to go fund you know research into this and you know kind of at the last minute providing a little bit more depth to it Essie but and then Tao's like but that's not all he was you know and so Mm -hmm. I think that there's I think that this was highlighted on somebody in our discord too is that Tao realizes that the good good actions don't out like they don't good and bad actions don't undo each other they just like they can both equally you can be you can do something good and you can do something bad and like the good doesn't outweigh the bad and the bad doesn't outweigh the good you're just like doing both things simultaneously okay i want to get to the end because i I think there is a lot to be all right sorry there's a lot to be talked about in in those moments uh let's start from the beginning uh, and Tao is obviously a big part of the whole beginning sequence. It starts fairly quickly after the first chapter that's like previously on the burning, which I didn't really love. But uh, I mean, it's I do like the fact that there's a synopsis of the previous book because 
sometimes that is nice just as a reviewer to be able to look back and like remind yourself because not all these books have people who've done this on Reddit. But uh, anyway, after that, they go straight into this whole thing with the ruling council taking over and we get into this fight after chatter, chatter, chatter back and forth about the uh, the nobles being uh, racist against the lessers, et cetera. Like, okay, we kind of already got that. That was a little much for me. And then there's like two or three days where Tao doesn't sleep straight and gets poisoned and gets a huge, huge chunk of his leg cut out and gets into multiple battles. You guys remember this whole beginning sequence? Like at, yeah. at any point where you like, this dude, like, is he just going to drop dead? I was, by the end of this, I was just so exhausted for Tao. <laughs> it was, it was a little bit too much because uh, especially where he's like just cut out the infected part of my leg and then yeah. immediately afterwards he just like goes to battle and beats a bunch of people right. it was it was a little bit over the top for me yeah i honestly thought i'm like did i skip some stuff you know because i was listening on audible i'm like did i skip ahead to where steven is at or something because I, I was like it seems weird that they're doing this all in the first act of the book and uh-huh. and yeah while there weren't that many consequences throughout the book to all these things happening. That was a, yeah. Okay. So that's a a criticism that I have because I don't understand why, why was the poisoning even a thing? It talked, one of the repeated messages was, you know, this nerve pain that you're now suffering is going to drive you to death. It's going to be so bad that you're going to want to kill yourself. And while a few times Tao was in pain, there were never any consequences for the poisoning. So I'm just left wondering like, why? So I think a part of it was to explain the demons that he was seeing uh, and like why he could continue to dismiss them as not being real. Okay. Although I feel like that, that tool was already in there with him traveling to, I'm going to put you see how go so often. Yeah. Yeah. So often like, so I don't, that, that was weird. There there are a few things like this that needed polish that I want to go through, but, and this was definitely one of them was the poisoning and what purpose it served. I, I was, I was thinking it's somehow going to have some role in the future with an encounter with a dragon. I, because I, got the I, now he, now he has like dragon blood in mm, him. Okay. I, Somehow that would be sweet. That would be sweet. To affect, yeah, like he's going to be able to communicate with the dragon or something or like that. Maybe he's developed an immunity to it so he can go near to them or. Yeah, that, it, it could be that. Um, but he does mention that he thinks he's going crazy and it it's unclear whether it's because of the time he spends in Isihogo or if it's from the dragon blood that he got inside of him. So after this, towards the end of the sequence, they storm the beach, they go find the Zidane and the warlord, Achak is there with his son, Kana, and he decides the thing to do here is to, one, kill this guy. I mean, that was a given that this, this guy's causing problems for us. And then we're going to like saw off his head and throw it into the water in front of his son. So, so this will prevent his son, who we kind of like, from coming back and getting himself killed, but it's going to have terrible consequences. So huge miscalculation from Tao here. I, I was, yeah, it, it seems like a bad idea to needlessly take somebody off like that. And it seems like if you let someone go, 
they're going to come back and kill your family. And he does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that he was willing to show mercy to Kana, somebody who he was like, this guy's reasonable. And, and he even tried to change the plan. Hadith was like, well, trap them both and kill them. And, mm-hmm. and Tao was like, no, let's let, we'll let Kana go. We'll just get the war, the warlord Achak. And Hadith is like, that's a bad idea. And Tao's like, well, I'm ordering us. I'm ordering you. We're going to do it this way. And sure enough, it's a bad idea, but it's, it's a weird merciful side of Tao. It's not a side that we're used to seeing before. Yeah. He brutally murders someone and throws their cuts off their head, throws it at their son in order to be merciful. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, I thought this whole thing was pretty well written and plotted, but uh, not the best decision for Tao. Certainly not. <laughs> That's why I always go with my man Hadith. He's my favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after this, we kind of relax a little bit. Tao gets to sleep for, I don't know, like a few hours at least. And I'm sure he's ready to go after that. And then the plot kind of picks up. And, and now we're at the point where... You know, we need to basically form our army and get ready to march on Palm. And also, you know, the, the Zidane are still out there and could be causing problems. So they come up with this new scheme where, well, first of all, Hadith is, is promoted to Grand General, right? And he immediately has a great plan for taking Palm. And they decide that they need to come up with a way to give the gifted more time to summon the guardian dragons. And what they're going to do is kind of a cool thing I, I thought, you know, they take the whole thing of going into Isihogo to the next level, and now it's not just Tao, it's all of Tao's friends, and they're going to go there endlessly and train, become stronger, and provide the gifted with more time for their shrouds to to last Well, after their shrouds fail, and they're going to summon the dragons and be more powerful. This was really cool. Like, it was an extension of what was introduced in the first book, and it was fun, and you got all of our, our characters involved, a lot of the side characters now have a chance to shine. Like I was pretty into, I mean, this is kind of like the training montage that we, we saw in the first book as well, but I was pretty into this. The only thing I, issue I saw with it was how has nobody thought to do this before? Like you would almost think that no, there would no be one, entire- No one is willing to like flay their soul, their soul endlessly like Tao is because Tao well, is a psychopath. It, it seems like Tao is able to convince <laughs> his friends to do it pretty easily. Yeah, well, they all want to be like him. He's cool. He just became I, 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 Queen's champion, and he's a lesser man. To me, what it seems like is there would be entire battles warged, like waged in Isiogo. Like that's where all the troops would be fighting, and then that's the real battle. Like in every in every one of these battles, that's like the natural extension of this is that everyone uh-huh. would just like send troops to Isiogo, and then it's just the the army that lasts that protects their queen long enough or their, their uh, entreater long enough wins. Yes. Well, it kind of gets to that at the end, right? Like Odili sends in a bunch of his, yeah. are they, they, they gifted? No, they're entreaters that go in there. They are gifted um, and, and draws them. They drop their shrouds, draws all the demons, and he tries to basically like bomb them, kamikaze. Yeah. yeah I, I, I had a similar thought, Stephen. Like, why hasn't anybody done this before? And the at the very end of the book, the the shaman from the Zidane says there are people like Tao that have, that have come to their shores. He says that, that the, 
call fight like Tao does. And so maybe mm. they do something similar. To, maybe they train in Ishihogo. I don't remember all the details of the call and in the whole history that uh, Tesora tells him. Uh, so I, I can't remember exactly if, if that could be the case. But I basically got that these guys, you know, they're like the the corrupted ones from the Loki type evil god, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that they've conquered other people. Right. And then they've got the other ones to join them or die pretty much. Yeah. So, okay. While we're on the subject of Isiogo and kind of the mythos of this, mm-hmm. I, I'm really hoping that we get more that because, okay, something has to be pulling the demons into our world. I know there's a name for like our world in there, but Umlaba. But I think it has to be something that Tao is doing, right? And I think that's breaking be, down. Yeah, he's doing something he probably shouldn't. And I think that might be what calls the coal. And the coal wants to stop. Like that might be their real mm-hmm. mission is to stop. Because they're basically trying to break this barrier in order to bust out of uh oh what's the what's the what's the trickster god's name anyway he they they, they are serving him and trying to you know get, get the underworld into the real world etc right sounded like yeah. josh was josh was saying maybe the opposite like they were trying to stop them from entering Isi hogo hmm. but i don't i don't know i mean they when they learn that the the Zidine are using the magics of the Omehi people and entering Isihogo, then they turn on them. So mm. it's it's an interesting thing. They, they talk about the coal, like they are using, like they, they do serve that uh, underworld Satan type character from their mythology, but then they do attack other people when they learn that they use the same magic as the gifted. Right. So I don't know. It, it does. You'd think that they would want them to use the magic. If that is what is leading to the making the barrier thinner and thinner so that more demons can enter mm. the world. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Clearly we, we need to do a reread or, or we need to get a little deeper into this. But yeah, there are a lot of details. It. I don't think I don't think we know exactly yet. Yeah, yeah sure I, I mean, we shouldn't. We we I'm we sure shouldn't. someone on Reddit has figured it out. I I just finished <laughs> yeah. the book earlier today, so I yeah. haven't like gone down the rabbit hole on all these things. Yeah, Reddit already knows everything. <laughs> okay, so a few more little points here. So Josh, you mentioned there are a few things that just seem like they could have been ironed out a little more. One thing was there's this like random point of view from this guy who they get to join. Um, in their EC Hogo fighting crew, and then he's killed immediately. And it's like, uh, for me, that just didn't sit right. I'm like, this guy just exists to show that this is a serious thing, because that doesn't really add very much to the plot. Uh, some things I just thought maybe like a little clumsy. Yeah, it, it did seem like a plot device just to get rid of a character, a minor character who was introduced right. only to show how people become demon chased. Is that the correct term that they use in the books where they go crazy and start seeing demons everywhere? And... Demon, demon something, demon curse, demon. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, de- demons are demons are bad. You want to avoid those. Yeah, 
and and so it didn't hit as hard when it's just a character who is introduced only to die by that way yeah. than if it was a character we knew before yeah. anyway overall I, I like the training sequences i like some of the new characters that come in including the uh, handmaidens who aren't really handmaidens that was kind of fun though th- that was cool i really like that i thought uh, also temba really took a, a step up he added some uh, some needed levity to the story and i, I thought he was a character that I kind of dismissed after the first book is like oh, this guy's a nothing character but he was he was cool he was fun so, so after that after the training sequence kind of ends and they gather some of their army they've convinced the surrounding people to join the real queen then they get word that this brutal attack has come on Karen which is of course where Tao is from and Kana has got revenge and this is something that I mean this is like straight out of the poppy war almost it's super dark where they come in and basically all of Tao's friends and family that are still there have been massacred and brutally killed his mother's husband right because they had split up his step, stepfather yeah his step stepfather is the term there his stepfather was like eviscerated and and disemboweled and uh, his mother all had her eyes put out it, uh, either one sister or multiple sisters like was beheaded right and yeah her head yeah yeah his step his stepfather was holding his sister's head in his hands so super dark stuff here like way further than we've seen previously in the books yeah that was that was rough <laughs> this is when i was like yeah this is that's what made me think of this as a classify this as a grimdark story yeah, and other than that one scene for me, it's not really grimdark, but uh, I mean, I, I see what I you mean. Him, him getting, there's a scene when he slid down a, a great like sword and of the demon and you see a uh, logo. And, yeah, like, yeah, that slowly scene was also kind of. Saw his bowels fall out. Like it's, I mean, it's easy to uh, set aside all the deaths that happen in Isiogo because, you know, That's they're true. not really real, but like the descriptions are are there and you know yeah that's fair that's fair yeah anyway so this is end up this this is going to really exacerbate the conflict because now not only do we have to take on odili and palm city but now the the zidine are coming with a vengeance and tau has a personal vendetta with them he goes after them briefly but that doesn't work out the first time because uh we we've really got to pay attention to palm at this point, because the, the time bomb is going off. And then everyone goes, rushes towards Palm City, where the best part of the book, in my opinion, happens. This epic dragon fight that happens outside of Palm. Like, this battle made the book for me. Previously, before this happened, I was like, yeah, this book's pretty good. Like, I'm liking it. And this chapter blew me away. I thought this was outstanding action. And I was I was turning pages like no other. This, this was awesome stuff. Totally agree. And one thing we were talking about, this is kind of an aside, but at the beginning of the this conversation, we were talking about the dragon's blood. And then there was a part of this battle in which dragon's blood was raining down on the city and made me realize yeah. that wherever that dragon's blood touched, people were dying, which is pretty yep. dark. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, I don't know why, but like dragon fighting dragon action just seems more brutal to me i guess it's just like so much more animal animalistic just 
biting each other's head, tearing each other's heads off. It's it's pretty uh, crazy to watch, and you're like cheering for the is it Black Wrath, the dragon that uh-huh. that Siora had. Yeah, of course Siora gets the coolest, biggest dragon. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's just taking down all the others. Uh-huh. This is another thing that I think kind of could use some ironing out. Is like the other dragon was the wall dragon because he saw it like take down the wall or something. Uh huh. Like, I just feel like you have one dragon being referred to as the black wrath or something. And the other dragon being referred to as the wall dragon. Yeah. I, I feel, I, I just feel like there could have been a little bit more like background, maybe somehow given on these dragons and it's, hit, it's hinted that they are intelligent. And you've mentioned some of these, um, jarring jumps to other viewpoints, but depending on how intelligent these dragons are, I think it would be cool to get a viewpoint. Oh, that from would one be cool. That would be cool. Um, even if it's not like a fully human intelligence, like some sort of viewpoint. I, I just feel like there could have been a little bit more yeah. care given to these dragons so that you understand them a little bit more. Yes. The the dragons, I need to know more about the dragons. Like how many are there? Do we do they get the same ones every time? Like does uh Sora always get the Black Wrath? Is that her her special dragon that kills all the other dragons? Why did Odili get more dragons than us? And and why were his smaller? Like how do how do they work? I just I just need to know more about the dragons. Dragons are cool and I want to know everything. I mean, I I totally agree. I felt bad for the dragons because it looks like the whole method is they capture like one of the young dragons and then just imprison it. Right. And, and then they use that dragon to make the other dragons think that it's their their child that's that's uh, calling right, to them right. so then they come and fight thinking that they're trying to save their child and so it's like man i feel bad for these dragons they're just totally getting like used and killing each other because they're being tricked and like no wonder they get pissed off and try and keep the yes where are the dragon rights activists this is an outrage. The, the spew, the spew of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and that one dragon like kept beneath the keep um, that like Tao went and saw. They just like uh-huh. they just like pulled it scales off of it or something to use for uh-huh. the weapons. And so you're like, man, I feel bad for this dragon. Like I hope that like that gets set free and like maybe Tao is able to communicate with it somehow. And that scene totally reminded me of, I mean, no, no spoilers, just kind of vague, but in game of Thrones, there's a good scene with the, with the dragon that's held captive and Tyrion is there. And uh, that, yeah. that whole visual the, in general, like the visuals of, of the dragons in game of Thrones really lend themselves nicely into some of the visuals here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So past the battle, which we are able to win with some, with some losses then we take over Palm and then like we're pretty much over because we leave Tao's viewpoint. And in one of the more controversial moves in the book, the, the entire climactic duel with Odili that we've been waiting for, for a book in three quarters is all th- seen through Essie's eyes, the queen's sister, Sora's sister's eyes. And Tao just like wins and that's kind of it. And this was the single biggest disappointment for me. I was like, Whoa, uh, "What? You're wrong, into- wrong." I I agree, Josh. So really, this was, really, this was perfect because it showed how point, like how 
disappointing it would have been for Tao just to come all this way and realize that like there isn't a lot like that he's going to get from this. He's going to do it because that's what he's worked so hard for. And like as an audience, we're going to see it, but it's not going to give us the type of impact that we want it to. And I think that this was a perfect way to kind of give us a sense of feeling what Tao is feeling. Wouldn't we have got more of what Tao is feeling if we saw it through Tao's eyes? Like, no, you know, Tao felt nothing as he, you know, disarmed Odili. And so he dropped his sword and walked away from, you know, from the dismembered, uh, you know, noble. And I I don't know. I, I don't think so because then we would be feeling how it's like, we would be feeling how Evan Winter tells us to feel how Tao is feeling, if that makes sense. Okay. Instead, we're, instead we're given a way that we can feel kind of what Tao is feeling with, uh, with um, a lack of fulfillment from this battle that we've been waiting for. Okay. Uh, I think it was smart. And I also think my, my other thought, I have a lot of thoughts about this. So let me just vomit them out a little bit. Yeah. My other thought is we know Tao as a character well enough that we know like exactly what he's thinking in that moment. We've seen moments like that in other books. We've um, seen him just like, you know, kind of fight. And the other thing is, I, no matter how it's done, it would, Evan Winter does fight scenes amazingly well, but I feel like it would have just felt like another fight scene that Tao goes and does. And we know that he does, that Evan Winter Winters writes those well, but that wasn't what the scene needed. Anyway, Ryan, back me up here. Um, so I, I like the scene, I think, I'm for different, ganged up reasons, on. <laughs> different reasons than Josh just listed. Yeah. I thought that it was really interesting to see Essie's side where she has her own view on things and how she thinks of Stiora like stealing her name and um yeah and yeah that was interesting she's like how Stiora was cruel to her growing up I don't know how much of it's true how much of it's just like exaggeration and her just feeling like oh she like stole this from me and she's not really justified in being the queen I I was a little bit worried seeing her like she's just like so triumphant because she she manipulates Ciara into like accepting this yep. duel uh, between Tao and um, Odili. I thought it was gonna there like Tao is just so confident, and there's so many times where he's just like gets a strike on Odili and could have ends the duel but doesn't. I'm like no Tao like you need you need to finish this duel like something bad is gonna happen like he's I know step on this his is leg. this is Joe Abercrombie this this could have yeah. been a Joe Abercrombie here or, or Game of Thrones yeah yep. yeah ab- absolutely like either of those um and and so I was kind of on the edge of my seat this whole time and I liked seeing it from Essie's point of view where she's just like watching Odili, this person who we previous to her, we've always seen Odili as a villain and just like super bad. And so it was, it was interesting seeing Odili as uh, much like a, a positive person, at least in Essie's view. And at first I thought it was just all him manipulating Essie. And I, I wasn't exactly sure by the end of the book how much it was like just him being like royals are superior as he's like and sharing as yeah. viewpoint is he a good guy when it comes to just nobles and he just totally disregards lessers yeah i'm not really sure what to think it's kind of an open question as to 
who Odili actually was. I mean, we we saw him in a terrible light through Tao's eyes, but in Essie's eyes, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. Yeah, and and but she also shares his views that lessers yeah. are just yeah dirt, and she's she's like so excited that oh, of course my noble Bossy Odili is gonna slay Tao, and then when she gets the queen to agree to the duel, and she looks at. Odili's face she's like it was like looking into the eyes of a dead man or something like that right okay so I'll, I'll meet you halfway I, I do I liked the point of view from Essie because you saw the other side of things I thought that was good that that added to some of the grayness and it really kind of uh, made the story a little more dynamic I still think it was too much I, I still would have liked to see the duel through Tao, I, I, I see what you're saying, Josh, a little what's bit. The, what's the point, though? Like, Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I feel like it could have gone in a different direction. Do you remember when they agreed to do it with one sword, right? Like uh, Sora is kind of tricked into it by SC and, and Tao yeah. as well because he's like in pain because of, you know, going for two months with getting zero sleep and being constantly beat up on. So I thought this was a big, like, I thought this was going to be a big thing. I thought that Tao was going to lose here because of the the pride that they had in accepting this because i thought this was a huge mistake and somehow tau with one sword was just going to be nothing and and odili was going to be able to, to take him out or, or do something you know something bad was going to happen but then it was nothing and so and that that was a huge disappointment to me i would have preferred to see through tau's eyes as he lost to odili which led to further conflict that, that see i i just think that that's not what this scene was about I think that the scene was about uh, Tao fulfilling his, you know, what he had trained so hard for, but doing it, realizing that it was that, that while it wasn't a complete lack of, like it wasn't complete emptiness, it wasn't a fulfillment either. That's fair. That, yeah. I think that was the, that was what the scene was. And this was kind of the fulfillment of that revenge arc. And Moving forward, I'm glad we get to move past that revenge arc a little bit for for Tao. I can give you that. I, I so I guess I could have seen two ways it could have gone. Personally, I would have gone the other way. I think it makes for a little more exciting plot to to really just like keep up these multiple conflicts. Now we've got this one wrapped up, and we're just kind of focused on one. I like it where there's a lot of different conflicts happening at the same time. I I certainly saw how it appeared to be setting it up for your view, Stephen. But I do agree with Josh. I, I thought that it it was going to happen the way that you thought it was, but I am I'm glad that it happened the way that it did. I, I do wish that there's more with Essie. That that's the part where I, I was fine that they killed off Odili, but I wish that there's more Essie yeah. where you get more conflict between Sori and Essie, and the history between them, and like even if she's not in a state of outright rebellion. You know, like I, I, I liked that relationship and that setup. So more than Odili, I always thought it was set up well where you knew that once Tao actually reached him, that it wouldn't even be a real contest. Like I think that that was foreshadowed enough. Uh, maybe foreshadowing is not the best word, but yeah, yeah. But I, I wish that there was more with, with Essie and sorry. Okay, so let's move on past Tao. We'll, we'll wrap up a few more loose ends of the story as we do. Let's talk about Sora. So, uh, sorry, sorry, I keep saying sorry. Yeah, I, I think I'm saying it wrong as well. I think Ryan has had the best pronunciation. The narrator says it, Siora. Siora, yes. Okay. Siora. So, Siora. So, my first question on Siora, I didn't understand 
is the we a royal we thing because she's the queen or is it an identity thing i was confused by that too i don't remember noticing that in the first book and maybe that's because we don't really interact with the queen that much right. and i was trying to figure it out i was hoping you guys might have the answer what what i was what i was guessing was that like when she says we she maybe she refers to like herself and the goddess because the goddess like speaks yeah. to her that's what i thought too right and she was the mouth mouthpiece of the goddess yeah i really wanted that explained <laughs> more because it just made her character feel so alien to me because i didn't understand like that i didn't understand how she even saw herself so I, I i struggled with her because of that yeah i just i just wanted more i we we get a viewpoint from her at the very end but i would have liked more of a viewpoint because i thought she was a really good character i thought she was she was fascinating to have on screen every time but i didn't understand who she was at the core of of, of her person it was uh, maybe it's something that we'll we'll get to know as, in the next book because we did get to know her through Tao a little bit more, but they've they've still been a little bit more like queen and vassal, mm -hmm. like or queen and champion. They haven't like really, and they become more intimate as the book goes on. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really to the point where they're like revealing everything yeah. about their their lives to each other. Were you guys into the romance? Uh, this was pretty cringy for me. I like oh, really? my, well, I don't know. My part of me that enjoys romances in books was uh -huh. into it, you know, but it was so like Tao was so, come on, Tao. Yeah. <laughs> come, come on, on. Like, come on, Tao. He's not completely naive. Like he courted uh, Zuri. Yeah, that's true. But this but is she's like also the, the queen. queen. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I don't know. There's just some with like each, a double meaning for everything Tao said, like constantly. Yeah. It, it just kind of got a little bit played out for me. And I wish that they would have just had something happen or not, or I don't know. I feel like I if I was Tao, if I was Tao, I would have been able to, I would have been able to pull through with, with the queen a little bit sooner. <laughs> you know, yeah, what, but, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Tao is kind of, he has had experience with Zuri, but that's like the only girl he's really had experience with. It's not like he's flirting with girls like all the time. Yeah, and he's so focused on, you know, the vengeance thing, which, yeah. which was again, something that just frustrated me about him. I wish he would have picked it up a little bit with, with uh, Sora. I, um, Siora. I, I did like, I did like the relationship. Maybe it was a little cringy at points. The thing that I didn't like was just that he gave up on Zuri so fast that he hardly even thought of her for three quarters of the book. And then like at the end yeah. when things are moving forward with Ciara, he, he's a little bit like, yeah. I don't, I can't lose you too. Like I lost Zuri. And so I was like, well, man, like Zuri literally just like sacrificed herself to the dragon like days ago. I, I'm not clear on the timeline. <laughs> it wasn't that book. long. Yeah. <laughs> but and, and he's already he's already moving on like how I, I don't know i think that he probably should have had more time to come around to it and the other thing is that i honestly don't see what the queen sees in him because yes he's, he's like this yes. he's like this scarred lesser like he you can just imagine like she's used to seeing like 
these nobles who are right like he's so no tall, he's no kellen O'Carr. yeah and he doesn't look he doesn't look as good as kellen does like and on top of that he doesn't have like an amazing personality he's just no, kind of like a guy it's who's not like, his winning charm he's yeah. like just let me kill Odilia and I'll do whatever you want. It's, it's so it's like, I mean, uh-huh, I, I don't, uh-huh. I don't really see how she's charmed by him. I guess that's not realistic. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that, that is probably the thing. Thank you. Good. Great point, Ryan. Yeah. And when Essie sees Tao, he's like this limping lesser scarred and, you know, yeah. ugly. And <laughs> this is the guy, this is the guy that the queen loves. Huh. Josh, okay, so in our first review, I remember you saying that you predicted that Zuria would come back, uh, which I thought was a decent prediction. It, it could have happened. I, I'm it, still it not. You still I'm think still it not could? ruling that out? Not not ruling it out yet. Okay. There really wasn't a whole lot of time for her to come back, and there and there were uh, mentions of people being able to travel faster than you would expect in Isiogo, with okay. both being able, you know, with the the people that could specifically trained to move super super quick in Nitsuyogo to like okay carry so we're holding on we're holding on for that in book through in book three we will uh, continue to watch for that uh last couple things with Siora so she she kills it in the dragon fight we already talked about that she has the biggest and baddest dragon of all of course because she is awesome and then uh she finally you know plants the kiss on Tao eh, I guess Josh was cringing. Uh, I was like, yeah, okay, about time. At least we're kind of past all of that. And then we get to the big cliffhanger with the coal. The coal are now here. A couple of these Zidane guys who are on their own have come to warn them. And then this is this is leading into book three, where now we will be fighting the coal. It, and, and this is a little disappointing to me because I like the multiple conflicts. I kind of brought this up before. Now it seems like we're really just focused on the one. But I guess there still is like Kana and his Zidane that, that need to come in line a little bit. So I, I mean, let's see where it goes. So um, my biggest disappointment with the book was how they handled Jabor, Jabori? Jabari, 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 Jabari and I, I felt like there's such a missed opportunity here. Okay. Because I, I, I love the setup of Tao confessing what he did, you know, and killing his brother. And I loved where it got to with them facing off in Isiogo and like fighting each other there but i feel like there was such an opportunity for there to be more threat to tau throughout that whole training montage of like oh bori gonna sabotage him is he gonna figure out a way to trap him in isiogo Uh is he gonna you know like do something where you're getting hints of like this threat to tau and instead it's just kind of Mm -hmm. dropped until it's not for one chapter while they fight it out and I like where it ends of them like grudgingly respecting each other enough to work together until he's strong enough to fight him again or to actually challenge him. You know, like I think right. that there's a lot of cool themes in there and, and that's a really cool relationship. I just feel like it could have been handled, like there could have been so much more done with it. So I'm kind of with you, but I'm actually on the a uh, little bit of the opposite spectrum. I, I also liked how Jabari was now back in the game and when he's in Isihogo, he can fight. And, and that's great because Umlaba is worse than the underworld for him because of the, the pain that he's in constantly and, and just generally being horribly crippled and burned. That was really cool. I, I like to see, you know, like a disabled character who's able to do things in a different way, but still has to suffer the consequences of, you know, not being magically healed. 
um, I thought I, I wasn't buying that he needed to kill Tao for killing his brother. Like the stakes of everything else were so high that like, come on, man, like, you know, get off the vengeance thing. And, and this kind of goes back to my same thing with Tao, where it's like, let's see past ourselves a little bit more here. Like, do we really need to kill Tao? Like your brother was a dirtbag and Tao was, I mean, he didn't mean to kill him. Like, can we be a little understanding? Tao is pretty much your brother as well. You grew up with him. I think he admits that at the end of the fight, he's like, Aaron was a father to me too. And I didn't really like Wakan, but he was my brother. And at the end of it, I think they have sort of gone back on the road to becoming like brothers to each other. Because as Tao is walking back with Jabari and people are like eyeing Jabari and staring at them, Tao's like, don't you guys have something better to do? Mm Mm-hmm sort of defending Jabari I think that that signals that the relationship is on um back on the road to yeah to but they still have this sword hanging they still have the sword hanging over them where Jabari's saying I'm gonna kill you once I'm ready yeah I don't know if he's just saying that to like to sate his honor yeah and and Tao's like Uh, Tao like gives it to him he's like all right like when you're ready like we'll fight this again like kind of a nod to the honor that Jabari is needs to have for his family. Um, I thought that Jabari was going to be a lot darker of a character because yeah. of how he's spending his time in Isihogo. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to like make some sort of deal with a demon in which he for could sure. like, get he back. Could, his... He could be Darth Vader, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I kind of meant. Is I feel like there could have there's an opportunity to make him into like the main like a really bad villain, where there's never really been where the childhood friend actually gets turned to the dark side and like stays there you know i'm sure there have been stories like that but they're pretty uncommon in fantasy that i've read at least i can't think of Mm. one off the top of my head you know where the childhood friend the companion since the beginning actually does become like the real bad guy of the series and so i feel like there was an Uh, opportunity stormlight stormlight a little bit a little bit anyway cirque to free I don't know if you guys have read that book. Anyway, I, I don't Which want to spoilers because that Cirque de Freak. Yeah, not familiar. Anyway, but but you know, what I mean, like an epic fantasy. I guess I I just feel like there could have been a good opportunity for him to become like the master of Isiogo. Like, oh, Tao, you thought, uh-huh. what was it? Like that that quote from Batman. Oh, you you only adopted the dark. I was born in it, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that could be sweet. Yeah. Like that could have been something really cool with him just like completely taking rule over figuring out how to live his existence mm. there and then figuring out the secrets and using it to destroy Tao. You know, I don't know. I, just I think that's going to happen. There. I think that's going to happen in the next book, fighting the the coal. You're going to have people who are like super soldiers like Tao because of their training in Isihogo. Or whatever the heck that demon lord thing is. Yeah, that just he, yeah, he that, must be a call of some kind, right? Something. Yeah, something like that. It we haven't seen the end of that for sure. All right, let's go into the worst of the best. I think that's a wrap for our walkthrough of the plot and characters. Uh, in general, it sounds like we have a lot of ideas about how the book could have gone, but uh, overall, you know, the the plot was was above average. I mean, quite good. What am I saying? It was good. <laughs> yeah. It, it was it was an eight I said eight out of ten. So it was it was really good. 
All right. So let's, uh, we, we have already kind of nitpicked at a few things, but uh, in order to bring up some more details, we're going to talk about some of our favorite moments, but you know, just a few small things that maybe, uh, maybe we have additional changes to suggest. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. So uh, I have one. If you guys, unless you guys want to start, go, go for it. Okay. So I really liked the, you know, the Aim and Tao and his, his friends and they're all fighting the Hogo together. I thought there was some really nice chemistry there. Um, I liked Uduak and Hadith and, and uh, Temba and Jabari, all these guys, the handmaidens as well. And I just thought there was like maybe more opportunity for some of these guys. And I understand, you know, that the book was fast moving and there was a lot of things that had to be fit in, but I just feel like sidelining some of these guys, like Uduak was one of my favorite characters from the first yeah. book, but I can't really point to any like real cool thing that he does. I mean, he's there the whole time fighting and everything. And uh, you know, Hadith becomes the general and he's got some good ideas, but they don't have the same real standout moments that, that they do in the first book. So I miss that a little bit. Totally agree with you. Yeah. Like, were you ever worried that Uduak was just going to die? Like, not really. He was just kind of... No, because because along. he killed someone, but he killed some random POV character that we'd never even seen before. Yeah. Okay. I have one. This was the fight between uh, Tao and the spear person in the beginning of the book, where... Oh, the one uh, who we'd seen a point of view from yeah in this yeah who killed she killed jayed or th i think his name is jayed, jayed. I, I, I feel like it's jayed ayim ah. anyway. yeah that's that, that's yeah. why they named the ayim after him yeah. right right which was a low-key emotional moment i'm not gonna lie that was good yeah. we are jayed but we are also taos like that was right anyway yes but her fight so one is I, I was kind of expecting her to come back maybe a little bit later in the book, be a bit bigger of a boss for him to fight. Whereas it was kind of like, oh, here's a little bit of a loose thread that was hanging from the beginning. And yeah. the last book, let's pick up in the beginning here. Yeah. But what the heck was on that parchment? Yeah. What was, what yeah. was that? <laughs> so that is, ooh, I mean, I, we're talking about worst of the best. So I'd say that the worst was that the fact that she was defeated so easily, but the best was how he just laid that groundwork where when you're reading it, you're like, oh, that's super important. But by the time you finish the book, it's like kind of hearts go back. I'm sure there's so many theories about what was written on that parchment, you know, that she was trying to give him. Well, is it even important? I honestly, yeah, I've kind of dismissed important. it. I, I thought it was like, I thought it was nothing. I it's thought it was another, it, well, it, it seems like he's done this before where he shows you the Chekhov's gun of going back to my one sword duel thing. In, in most other books, I'd be like, oh, one sword, that's huge. It's going to be important, and then it's nothing. So it seems like maybe that's something he likes to do, where he shows you the Chekhov's gun and then does nothing with it. No, because Chekhov gone because that wasn't between 
like uh, from from act one to act two, that was like between one scene to the next, you know, of him not having, okay. ha- of him having a one star duel. Like, Is that a re- that's that- a requirement for the gun? I, I don't know the technical re- requirements for the gun, but I feel like, yeah, it was it, like the general description of it. So okay. There's a gun on the wall in act one and it's used in act three or whatever. Or you're telling them the whole time that this dude has a lot of pain and he's going to want to kill himself and then nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like this parchment is definitely, here's something that you guys need to figure it out and it's going to be important later. Anyway, okay. That's, okay. That's my thing. Well, for mine, I'm going to have to go back to the romance between Siora and Tao. <laughs> I thought that it had a lot of compelling parts to it, but there were some things that made it a little bit less believable to me or fall a little bit short, like the um, Zuri, is Tao, Tao kind of getting over Zuri so quickly. Right, right. Also, Tao just not being a very romantic yeah. type of character Siora is a 10 Tao's like a five uh he's like a one man i mean in <laughs> terms of people i'd want to date yeah, if i yeah. was a queen <laughs> yeah if your sister was dating Tao, steven if one of your sisters was dating Tao, you'd be like um yeah you need to drop that that guy immediately he's, he's crazy <laughs> i at least would have liked to seen a, a love triangle or something like can we get kellen involved Kellen was another disappointment. That dude was totally nerfed. Steven, Kellen Steven's was over awesome. Writing fan fiction between Tao Kellen. <laughs> I totally am. I totally am. Kellen was awesome in the first book, and he's really good looking. And you know, he's the he's the best of the nobles. Why isn't there some some you know feelings there? We saw no. Well, we saw from his perspective in the first book that he like loved the or not maybe not loved the queen, but he was infatuated with her. Yeah. I thought that was going to be the point of some conflict with Tao. And then when I learned that Essie was like the twin sister of Sierra, I was like, oh, they're going to free Essie and Essie's going to fall in love with Kellen and Sierra's going to fall in love with Tao. And they're just going to be like best friends and <laughs> love with twins. Ryan's writing a, a different type of uh, fiction <laughs> over there. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's my worst of the best. Fair points. All right. Uh, to wrap up, if you uh, if you like Phantology, you can find more of us at www.phantologybooks.com. Uh, I mean, just final notes. I, we're always maybe a little too crit- I always look back at these and think, man, we're too critical. We really like this series. I mean, we only review great books, and and this was certainly one that we're very much looking forward to the next installments. It's it's fun to kind of talk about oh what could have been, but overall, this was a really great book. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Well, 8 out of 10. But in terms of <laughs> if I would recommend people reading it, I really think I would recommend yeah. a lot of people read this. If Yeah. I think I think it was a good follow-up to a really good debut novel. It wasn't a huge drop-off in, no. in the quality of work. And so I think it shows promise for Evan Winter's um, future books. And after I read The Dumpster Fire That Is Ready Player 2, I appreciate this quality so much more so (laughs) thank you evan winter and if you want to support the show you can do that at patreon.com slash underscore books all right see you guys bye